everybody. Uh, I always like to begin my programs by remembering my guru, Swami Muktananda, who began every program by saying in Hindi, Sabko Varisanmanik Kesat Premse Hardik Swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And he would always say that the essence of spirituality is to welcome another person with love. So in that spirit, I want to welcome you. Uh, and I want to welcome everyone in Radio Land. Where do I look? I look there for Radio Land. People ask me, what is Radio Land about? I said, well, you know, I grew up in a time before iPhones and computers and, uh, uh, what? That's what I'm gonna say, and I even go back before there was television. I used to huddle in my room and listen to radio. So Radio Land was this vast expanse where unnumbered people would listen, so Radio Land. So welcome to everybody in Radio Land. A special welcome, as Devi Ma said, to my dear old friend Swami Brahmananda and uh, to Sudarshan and Sandeep, his, uh, his uh, fellow uh, VBT practitioners, uh, and plus the, uh, the group in uh, Tantraloka in Goa, and also uh, the Rishikesh Sangha. So welcome to you, and also a uh, special welcome to my dear old friend Leslie Robinson, uh, who is the head of the animal shelter uh, at Triovanamalai and has been doing great work there, uh, helping the, the uh, dogs and cats and animals in, uh, in that area. Uh, and so Leslie's looking on with his uh, partner, uh, Dr. Raja. So welcome to all of you and everyone else I'll welcome later. <clears throat> As Dave Ma said, tonight we're celebrating Shivaratri, the holy night of Shiva. And as uh, David Ma said, it's uh, actually on Tuesday, but you know, here we have satsang on Saturday, so everything is celebrated on Saturday. Uh, I met my guru, Baba Muktananda, 51 years ago on Shivaratri. So Shivaratri is always very special, 51 years. <clears throat> I was studying at the time with the great Hatha yogi, Haridas Baba, in Haridwar, in India, doing a lot of Hatha yoga, pranayama, and so on. Uh, and then, as all yogis did in those days, they got an invitation to go to the US. Uh, so uh, we drove him down to uh, Delhi, and he took a plane to the United States, so we were left wondering what we'd do next. Uh, and we heard that, uh, my first teacher, Ramdas, uh, was in Bodh Gaya, uh, and he'd come back to India and was in Bodh Gaya meditating, so we went over there, and we practiced some vipassana with the Burmese master, uh, Munindra. <clears throat> and then Ramdas was going to Delhi to meet Swami Muktananda uh, for Shivaratri, and he invited us along. We said, yes, he said, Muktananda's a great yogi, great Siddha, great Kundalini yogi, and so on. And so that's how I met Baba on Shivaratri. Ramdas introduced me, he said, this is my friend, he's a professor. So after that, Baba called me professor, much to my dismay, I must say, until finally he took uh, pity on me, gave me the name Shankar, which is the name of Shiva. So I guess I, I was uh, destined to be a Shaivite, meeting him on Shivaratri and so on. 
After I'd been with Baba for about nine months, he gave me a significant teaching. He told me that the way to conquer ego was to always contemplate Shiva Hum, I am Shiva, I am the self. Constantly contemplate that. Uh, and that had a profound effect on my awareness. In Shaivism, there's the notion of Shiva Samavesha, that is merging in Shiva. You can become one with Shiva, and that's the goal of Shaivism, to be one with him. So who is this Shiva? As many forms, Devi Ma spoke about the uh, Mahadev, the great yogi, the great meditator, the primal guru. I have my own version of that. <laughs> there he is. Because they say, as, as Devi Ma said, he's the, the, the Shiva is the, the, uh, the Adi guru, the, the first guru, and that every guru partakes of Shiva nature, becomes an embodiment of, of, uh, of Lord Shiva. Uh, so. Do they know that's Baba? Oh, that's, ba that's a young picture of, uh, of uh, Baba, my guru. <clears throat> Another form of, uh, of um, Shiva is the Nataraj, the dancing Shiva. And uh, that's actually a photograph of the Nataraj, which is standing right next to him. But, um, uh, that we have. It's a wonderful dynamic image of Shiva dancing the universe into existence. Which happened on Shiva Ratri. That happened on Shiva Ratri, okay. And, um, and it's, that's got an interesting iconography you can yeah. talk about next year. Okay. <laughs> it's the five processes and all kinds that's of things. That's the word I couldn't remember. Which word? And, um, but mostly, if you go to India, you'll see in temples, the image that they worship is called the Shiva Lingam, uh, which you see there, which is a very mysterious uh, symbol of the infinite. Uh, but of course, the most sophisticated notion of Shiva, which is described in Kashmir Shaivism, and that is that Shiva is not embodied in any of these forms. Shiva is supreme consciousness. So that when you say, I am Shiva, and Baba gave me that, that method, uh, you're also saying, I am the self, I am consciousness, I am my awareness. I am my awareness. Well, who am I? I am my awareness. You know, when a, when a, a person dies, they, the awareness leaves the body. The body is there, but you know that's not the same person because we are our awareness. I am my awareness. Consciousness is a very big problem for modern science and philosophy. And they're starting to think about it, and they don't really know how to deal with it. I found a very charming fact. They, call, they say there's an explanatory gap, an explanatory gap which is uh, an academic way of saying, we don't know. Um, <clears throat> and that gap is this. How does consciousness arise from unconsciousness? How does that which is not conscious become something that's conscious? 
Even Darwin can't explain it because uh, Darwin can explain how uh, maybe the opposable thumb happened or something, but a shift from unconscious to conscious is not just an adaptation to environment. It's something extraordinary. You might even call it a miracle. <clears throat> so, and yet, even if science doesn't understand consciousness, we all understand consciousness because we are conscious beings. We're not like a stone. I have my stone here. Where is it? There. there. Tree rock. We're not like a stone. We are conscious. We are aware. We have self-consciousness, self-awareness. And we, we know consciousness up close. So on, on Shivaratri, it's been uh, my uh, tradition to give a talk on the sublime philosophy of Kashmir Shaivism, also known as the Trika, uh, also known as uh, non-dual Shaiva Tantra. This is a great philosophy. Um, <clears throat> what we call Kashmir Shaivism is an ancient tantric philosophy. Its modern form began in ninth century Kashmir with the sage Vasugupta. And he revealed uh, a text called the Shiva Sutras, a marvelous, extraordinary text. He either wrote it, or he channeled it, or received it, or he turned a rock over and found it under the rock. Take your pick. Uh, but in any way, Vasugupta revealed this text, and that began, uh, that was the first text in Kashmir Shaivism. At the turn of the 11th century, that's a thousand years ago, there was a great being in that lineage, and his name was Abhinavagupta. And if you look here, we have a, a beautiful painting um, by uh, one of our local artists, Carol, of Abhinavagupta. Can we get the camera on it? I don't know. No, we can't get it. We can't see it. He's working on it? Anyway. So anyway, Abhinavagupta was not only a self-realized yogi, but it was in, uh, in Devi Ma's happy phrase, a big brain. Uh, like Sri Aurobindo, he wrote volumes on yoga. Uh, Abhinavagupta's Tantraloka is filled with details and esoteric practices and rituals. Uh, and scholars have been puzzling over these details for centuries. An old friend of mine is one of the leading scholars in Shaivism named Mark Duskovsky. I just spoke to him this week and he told me that he's produced uh, a, a translation of Tantra Loka in, uh, I think it was 12, was it 12 volumes? 12 or 13 volumes. <clears throat> uh, just coming out volume by volume. Now look, the devil, they say, is in the details, but I think that the angels are in the big picture. And I'm a big picture kind of guy. I think that it's important to grasp the big ideas. In other words, the outline, the big picture, and then the details can be filled in later and they'll, they'll make sense. And the details of Kashmir Shaivism are quite complicated. Uh, they're endless. But the big picture is easy to grasp. 
and wonderfully powerful. I'm going to talk about that tonight. This is uh, a one-shot uh, tutorial in Kashmir Shaivism. Kashmir Shaivism is a narrative. I like to say things are narratives because I was trained in English literature, uh, and I see things as narratives. Kashmir Shaivism is a narrative. Actually, it's two narratives, the Shiva narrative and the Jiva narrative. The juicy point is that Shiva, the divine lord, pure consciousness, and Jiva, the individual self, that is you and me, are actually the same person. <clears throat> they begin, Shiva always knows that Jiva is him, but Jiva doesn't. And by the end of the, the tale, they merge, they become, they become one. So Kashmir Shaivism tells the story of consciousness, or rather our story, in our true identity as consciousness, our real biography. But this is the biography that we don't know from the beginning because nobody ever told us it. We're told a lot of things, but not about what our true nature is, who we really are in the most profound sense. Our whole education goes in the other direction, towards the personal, towards the limited. However, as we meditate and do spiritual practice, we do sadhana, we eventually come to discover who we actually are. So I like it, it even rhymes Shiva and Jiva. We're Jiva, the individual soul, and also Shiva. So we carry within us these two narratives. So on the Jiva side, the personal side, <clears throat> you get a shot of the, of the tainting? <laughs> Very good. Now I look here, or where I look? Oh, there, okay. Camera one. <clears throat> okay. So on the personal side, there's our life story. We're born here or there. Our parents are these people. Uh, we had this kind of education, that kind of job. We got married to someone. We maybe had children, and on and on. That's our story. It's full of triumphs, failures, ambition, frustration, what they call the usual catastrophe. And this is the history of our personhood and all its dramas. But the history of the self is another thing. That's a story that's hidden from us. We don't know anything about it until we come to the spiritual path. But even before we become consciously spiritual or start to practice, we do have the feeling sometimes that there must be something more. There must be some higher understanding, some higher purpose, a feeling that if we could find the key, we could, the key to life, we, could, we would be go, good, great even, fabulous. And there is a key. It's the understanding of ourselves as spiritual beings. We gradually learn about this Shiva narrative that's been hidden from us. And as we do the two uh, our spiritual practices, our Jiva narrative, the two narratives intersect and they become one. <clears throat> we learn that the Shiva narrative, although it's hidden, 
is just as real, is actually more real than our personal stories and dramas. <clears throat> well, let me say at this point that one of the key things about Kashmir Shaivism is that it honors our personal history. It says the personal history shouldn't just be, in some philosophies, they just get rid of the person, get rid of the ego, destroy the ego, doesn't exist, and so on. But Shaivism says it does exist. It is Shiva in that form. It has its own kind of truth, but it only can realize that truth when it's held up against the deeper narrative of the story of Shiva, the story of consciousness. So Kashmir Shaivism tells our Shiva story very elegantly. And I like to think of it as a symphony in four movements. <clears throat> and the first movement I called Chitti, or consciousness. Chitti. We have that, Maestro? Let's see. There it goes, Chitti. It's a very small Chitti. <laughs> okay. Okay. What? Chitti. <laughs> and uh, Chitti means, can you put the other side? Yeah, there. Uh, chit Shakti. Uh, so th we begin the story with consciousness, pure consciousness, pure luminosity, one with God. We could say it's God, formless God, consciousness just vibrating somewhere in the universe. Uh, so in this account, the primary stuff of the universe is not matter, but consciousness. That's different from the, the Western point of view, which is the opposite of that. And that's a big statement to say consciousness is the primary stuff of the universe. And I like nothing more than to demonstrate that and prove that to you. But not tonight. <laughs> it's one of my obsessions. Uh, but we'll do that another evening, okay? You'll have to take my word for it. <clears throat> the very first sutra in the Shiva Sutras, and therefore the very first aphorism in Kashmir Shaivism says, Chaitanya Matma, the self is consciousness. So that answers several questions. Who are you? You are consciousness. And also what is, when it says the self of everything, at the center of everything, is consciousness. Consciousness underlies everything. And that's, that's, you can't just hear that and say, oh yes. You have to really contemplate that. <clears throat> anyway, universal consciousness, chitti, is vibrating ecstatically for three kajillion years. <clears throat> and then something funny happens. Uh, we don't really know what happens, but we could talk about it one way or another. So what is consciousness doing? It's doing all kinds of things, and maybe it's thinking, what will I do? I'll do this, I'll do that. And then it gets the idea, I will become many. I will contract myself and forget who I am and become many. This is a way of talking about it. So Shiva, who is supreme consciousness, uh, makes the decision to become many, which is, means to become us. It's, it's his play. It's, 
It's his sport. So then we have now the second movement in this symphony, which I call mala, or contraction. So Shiva, which is expanded awareness, suddenly becomes contracted and becomes us. We're obviously contracted forms of that consciousness. As individuals, we don't remember the moment that contraction happened. We can't go back and say, I remember I was Shiva and uh, something happened. But in a sense, we remember it in every cell in our bodies. It's some sort of profound trauma. They call it anavamala in Shaivism. It's talk about trauma. It's the trauma of traumas. Our souls remember it. And if you look at, uh, across culturally, uh, different uh, uh, mythological and religious narratives, they all talk about a time when everything was perfect. In our uh, Judeo-Christian tradition, talk about the Garden of Eden, perfect time. Uh, Freud even talks about the time in the womb, fabulous time. Uh, when I was in graduate school, I did a study of Paradise Lost by Milton. We lost, uh, we lost the Garden of Eden and, and were thrown into uh, the mess that we're in now. Um, <clears throat> uh, the Hindu tradition talks about the Golden Age, Satyuga. There was a Golden Age. Everyone was virtuous and countries lived next door to each other with great joy. They didn't uh, do horrible things to each other and they, uh, they told the truth and they did spiritual practices. Um, anyway, after this paradise-like period comes a rude shock. Uh, we get banished from Eden because there's the fall. After the fall, we get sent away from Eden. Uh, birth trauma for the Freudians. Uh, for the Hindus, a gradual downward trend until we reach the Kali Yuga, the present age with everything is a mess Plus, there's COVID and Putin, so it's pretty bad. So the different traditions describe the causes differently, but all of us know that there's something lacking. There's a contraction. We feel a sense of lack, an anxiety, an existential anxiety. Even when we don't know this consciously, we know it. Uh, why do I say that? Because we're always busy trying to become OK trying to make it okay to be fully secure, to get everything right, to, be, to feel good about ourselves, to overcome a felt sense of incompleteness or insecurity or loneliness or lack or depression. Uh, much of what we do in life is designed to overcome this contraction or to compensate for it, the existential ache in our hearts. Uh, and it's caused by the temporariness of human life. The Buddha, the Buddha hit the nail on the head when he said, there's old age, disease, and death. There's suffering. It's inherent in our condition. Old age, disease, and death. And because of these things, loss and separation, grief uh, is inevitable. So our search as human beings is to fill in this hole that we feel inside, in our heart, in our gut. Uh, 
<clears throat> and finally, according to this narrative, we try every aspect, we try to, to fill that in different ways. Stuff, money, uh, relationships, objects, power, different things, and none of that ever does it. Celebrity. Um, <clears throat> and finally, after we do all that, we play out all our external options. Um, but still, even while we're doing that, there's within us uh, a desire, whether it's large or small, to understand the fundamentals of things. Uh, the 19th century German philosopher and sociologist Wilhelm Dilthey called this the metaphysical impulse, the drive to transcend. In the Indian tradition, we call it mumakshutva, which is the desire for liberation. We all have this in one degree or another, a desire to understand the big picture. What is life about? We begin to ask questions like, who am I? What is the meaning and purpose of my life? What is all this about? And as we ask those questions, we move to the spiritual path. And now, having done that, our search is no longer for money and power and fame and so on, but it's for Shakti or Kundalini or God or for love, for understanding, for meaning. <clears throat> and we discover that our true task is to awaken to our true nature. And then we do sadhana, we do spiritual practice to attain that inner, inner goal. And according to uh, this narrative, this happens to every one of us sooner or later. It's because it's our nature and our nature is calling us. We can be superficial for a number of lifetimes, but ultimately our nature calls us to know itself. Uh, whether in this lifetime or later. So then, this is the third movement in this, uh, this symphony, uh, and I call this movement Upaya, uh, <clears throat> or sadhana, or spiritual practice. Upaya actually means a method, a method. Uh, when we reach this phase, We've understood that our inner state is our main business. Our inner being, our beingness is our main business. And now we start to practice. <clears throat> Just think about it, whether you're happy or not determines the quality of your life. You could have all the wealth and praises uh, in the world, but if you're not happy, what's it worth? Many cautionary tales like that. Celebrities who are miserable, billionaires who are miserable. We kind of like those stories, don't we? <laughs> so in this upaya phase, this third movement, we work inwardly to remove directly the blocks to happiness, to achieve a clear space of good feeling, the way I like to put it, a clear space of good feeling. Uh, and to knowing ourselves as awareness, as consciousness. And everyone watching here, everyone attending here, 
is to some degree in this phase. You wouldn't be here if you weren't interested in the inner process, in the spiritual process. We're doing work on ourselves to understand ourselves more deeply, uh, to know the self. And eventually, our spiritual practice bears fruit, and we enter the fourth movement of the symphony. Hooray! And that is moksha. Not to be confused with mocha. Well, mocha is pretty good, but moksha is even better. And which is self-realization or liberation, the goal of spiritual life. <clears throat> now we attain Shiva Samavesha. We merge, the two narratives merge. We're full of joy and love. We've learned the secret of joy and love and fulfillment, that they don't lie outside. There's a direct access to them within ourselves. <clears throat> We're full of luminosity. We feel totally connected to God, to the self, to the spiritual energy. The kundalini energy, the inner spiritual power starts to, well, it fully unfolds in this phase. And this is the state of the great beings, the great yogis of all the traditions. Uh, and this is the state that I saw in my guru. When I saw him, I instantly saw this, that somehow occultly I saw that he was in this state. Uh, and I thought, that's, that's the thing to have. Uh, the, Spanda, the Spandakarikas, which is uh, one of the great texts of Kashmir Shaivism, describes it this way. It says, a being who has realized the identity of his self with the whole universe becomes constantly united with Shiva. He views the entire world as the blissful play of consciousness and is liberated even while alive. There's no doubt about it. No, think about that, to, to see the whole world as the blissful play of consciousness. We don't usually see the world as a blissful play. Uh, that's a, a great thing, is to see it all as a, as a sport. That's the way Shiva sees it. It's all a sport. <clears throat> so this is a story told by Kashmir Shaivism. Uh, and in fact, it's all of our stories. Uh, we're just at different places in that story. And the great Shaivite texts present a roadmap of this journey. Let me quote a couple. One of my favorite texts, we have this? This one, yeah, I am Shakti? Yeah. Oh yeah, okay. This is from the Pratyabhijan of Radayam. <clears throat> This summarizes this whole narrative that I've talked about in two lines, really. <clears throat> I am Shakti Daridra Samsari Uchiyate. He is a bound soul who has poverty of Shakti. So what does it mean to be a bound soul? It means to be uh, an insecure jiva. Poverty of Shakti. We don't have enough energy, enough power, enough love enough joy, enough intelligence. We just don't have enough because we've lost it. But then comes Sva Shakti Vikase to Shiva Eva. 
with the unfoldment of his shakti, however, he becomes Shiva himself. If we learn to unfold this energy, we become one with Shiva. We become everything we could be. That there is a way to become everything you could dream of, fully joyous, fully secure, fully contented. <clears throat> and that's through inner means, to unfold your shakti. So this is the whole story in, in, two, uh, uh, in two lines. Another one, also from the Spandakarikas. You have one line? Do you have that up there too? Okay. All right, the English. Where there's no shoba or mental agitation, there occurs the highest state. This says, like Patanjali, when the mind is still, then we become Shiva, we become who, who we are. So what stands in the way of our being everything we can? The chattering, the negativity, the self-talk, the tearing thoughts of our mind. If we learn to quiet our mind, then the self shines forth. Self's always there. It's obscured by the chattering of the mind, the stories we tell ourselves. I'm no good, I'm insufficient, I'm weak, I can't do it. We're telling ourselves these stories all the time. And because of that, we can't hear the rumbling, I am Shiva. That's drowned out. So when we quiet the mind to meditation, we attain it. Uh, another one. From the Shiva Sutras, Hridaya Chitta Sangata Drishya Swapadarshanam. When the mind becomes united with the heart, one sees everything as a form of consciousness. We're split, mind and heart. We have this inherent split in modern society. We don't know how to be natural, how to, be, how to connect those two. We bring the mind and the heart together through meditation. We meditate in the heart, we become whole, and then we see everything as consciousness when we attain that state. And now one of my, uh, I'll end with this one, and then we'll meditate, I'll use another one for meditation. <clears throat> but this is one of my favorite ones from Pratyabhijna Vidayam, number 19. There's the attainment of permanent awareness of the self by dwelling on one's identity with universal consciousness over and over again. I've contemplated this particular sutra a lot of times in, in my sadhana, during my spiritual practice. Attainment of permanent awareness of the self by contemplating the identity. Because Baba told me, say, I am the self, I am Shiva, I am the self. Contemplated over and over again. Think about it again and again and again. What is he saying? Think about the Shiva narrative. Don't just go on brooding about your personal narrative. Oh, woe is me, poor me. I get this, the dirty end of every stick. No one loves me. No one appreciates me. Oh my, I've been overlooked again. You know, everything bad happens to me. That's the way we usually brood. But also, again and again and again, 
I am Shiva, I am the self. What does that mean? Bring that right into your being, connect with that. So contemplate that, think of the Shiva narrative over and over and over again. Every day, you wake up, think about that higher narrative, I am Shiva, I am the self. Middle of the day, take a moment, I am the self, I am consciousness. And at night, I am the self, I am conscious, and meditate on that. That's what it means, over and over and over again. It's to relearn healthy way of thinking rather than negative ways of thinking, tearing thoughts and negative self-talk to overcome that. So this is the, uh, the practice and the story of Kashmir Shaivism for Shivaratri. So now it's time to meditate. So I, I picked a, uh, a verse from uh, the great text, the Vigyan Bhairava, <clears throat> which is a, a wonderful collection of, um, of meditative practices. And this is the ultimate one. You don't need anything more than this one. Uh, <clears throat> it's verse uh, 116, to your reference. Uh, and um, Jadav Singh says, Wherever the mind goes, whether towards the exterior or towards the interior, everywhere there's the state of Shiva. Since Shiva is omnipresent, where can the mind go to avoid him? And Harish says, Harish Wallace says, wherever the mind goes, externally or even internally, it discovers nothing but the state of Shiva. Since that state is all pervasive, where else could the mind go? Okay, what that means practically. You sit to meditate. Stuff comes up. Your mind is agitated. What is that agitation? It's Shiva. Of course, there's nothing but Shiva. You look inside, you feel a contraction. You feel anxiety. What is that anxiety? It's Shiva. So there's nothing to do since it's all Shiva, but to see everything and identify everything as Shiva. Very similar to a great Zen practice called Shikantaza, which is just sitting. You don't fight anything. You don't have to have the right kind of thoughts. You don't have to get rid of the wrong kind of thoughts because whatever arises is Shiva. So let's try that meditation now. This is pure Shaivite meditation, pure tantric meditation, whatever arises inside spontaneously, good thoughts, bad thoughts, good feelings, bad feelings. They could be thoughts you're not proud of, thoughts you're proud of, doesn't matter. Whatever arises is just the play of consciousness, the play of Shiva. So sit relaxed and whatever comes up just say, ah, Shiva, Shiva, Shiva. And as you do that, you relax and you go deeper. And then meditation itself will take you. So let's do that. Let's meditate for 10 minutes now. Everything is Shiva. Whatever thoughts are there, whatever feelings are there, it's all Shiva. It's all okay. There is nothing but that consciousness. 
I will meditate now for 10 minutes. And once again, with great love and respect, I welcome you all with all my heart. Let's meditate now. Satgunat Maharaj Kijay. And we'll meditate for 10 minutes.